Hello, everyone. I am Jennifer Braverman, and welcome to our podcast, Stories from the Earth, where we explore humankind's relationship and connection with the natural world. We would like to take a quick moment to invite our listeners to consider supporting us through a humble little donation. If you go to our anchor page and click the support button, there are options to donate. Donations go towards helping us with future projects, such as launching an herbal educational curriculum we've dubbed the People's Herb School, as well as funding to help take the show on the road and do on-site reviews and interviews at herb farms, schools, and other interesting places relevant to our podcast. Today, we have another special episode. We are having a panel chat about the season of spring. If you have missed our previous panel chat about fall and winter, please check it out. And hopefully there will be a summer chat as well. So we'll do all uh, all the seasons. And one quick announcement before I introduce our fabulous, fabulous guests. If you are in the Asheville area in the beginning of May, we will be doing our first live podcast at the Asheville Herb Fest. The date right now is May 5th at 11 a.m. So that may or may not change, but we have um, amazing people on the panel um, who are, most of them are going to be also vendors. Byron, who is here on this panel with us today, is also going to be on that panel. And we are going to be talking about the top three herbs or vegetables for food security, how to keep it local when the supply chain may fail. So we're going to have uh, Jeannie Dunn, who uh, runs Red Moon Herbs. Lori Burra of uh, Green Heart Gardens. The last person on the panel will be Sierra Foley, um, formerly of the Appalachia School of Holistic Herbalism, and not quite sure what she's doing now, but she's a fantastic herb teacher and herbalist. So super excited about that. If you're in the Asheville area, come check us out. <laughs> so um, I'd love to introduce now our awesome panelists. Actually, I'm gonna have them introduce themselves because because yes I, that's how I want it <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna start with Lori and just go 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 around in a circle well I am Lori Collins Jenkins I own sister of mother earth I'm based out of Madison County um, I make fire ciders herbal honeys um, all kind of herbal foods, trying to incorporate a little bit of wild in each bit of my medicine. I do a lot of teaching. Currently, right now, I've got a, a new festival that I'm going to for the first time, Cauldron Fest. I think Byron's going to be there, too. Yeah. So pretty excited about that. I'm going to be teaching two classes. I did just open up an herbal CSA for the entire year, so I'm pretty excited about that. I'm only making medicine just for that foods and medicine just for that because i was finding you know it was just kind of too hard to add that into my regular what i make so i'm excited very much about that and then of course i'll be at the herb fest teaching so i'm excited about that too and is that information on your website to sign up mm -hmm. okay yep. okay cool thank you for adding that oh yeah <laughs> i forget about how people can get that <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, everyone's links and information will be posted in this podcast, so you should be able to, um, you know, check out Lori's CSA and everything else. Yeah, so I'm Sarah, and I live in Bat Cave. I do um, 
I'm a, I'm kind of a forest farmer and a forager and wild crafter and most of all forest steward and botanical advocate perhaps. So um, I do bat cave botanicals, which is uh, bat cave botanicals and designs, which is a dual business of mine. So um, I wild forage and harvest um, all kinds of things from the woods. And then on the other side of that, I actually, um, I work with forest farmers and I create educational resources for people and websites. Most recently I've been doing a lot of ginseng conservation work, which I'm really excited about and, um, you know, help educate people about at-risk medicinal herbs, you know, try to help people figure out how they can benefit from their forest, the plants that grow there, how everything, you know, can kind of work together really nicely. And um, don't ask me anything about vegetables because I don't know anything. <laughs> herbs only. Sorry, I think it's going to be a very herb, herb-centric podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm also a photographer. So, um, yeah, I like to take pictures, but I don't actually think all that much of my work because it's kind of almost like a nature journal for me. And then I'm always really surprised pleasantly when I'm like, oh, wow, look at that picture. <laughs> so, yes. That's... And as we talk about, we're going to be talking about some herbs and maybe some veggies. Uh, we're going to have pictures. So if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm going to add in the pictures and editing so that you can see actually what plants we're talking about. And we'll see some of Sarah's awesome photography. Mm. I mean, everything you post, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> thank you you're welcome <laughs> um so i am a grower i grow herbalism and grow herbs at peace rock farm and i also help grow the vegetables here and i most recently have been helping them develop a tea line and salves and lotions and they just opened a farm stand off of riceville road at the fire station and that's where we'll be selling our herbs and grass and um, so that's really exciting. And then also for me personally, I'm, I'm doing an online class for um, Intro to Herbalism starting in April for super, super new students. And I'm excited to get out of the bubble and expand to those that have never been, um, you know, never been exposed to herbalism. So that's a new kind of thing I'm opening up to. And then also I'm just a singer and sing to the plants and yeah. <laughs> Welcome to my kitchen once again. I'm Byron Ballard. Uh, most folks know me as uh, Asheville's Village Witch. I do a lot of teaching and writing about Appalachian folkways, particularly about healing and, um, and magical arts. I have several books out. I have two that were published locally by small independent presses. One is called Stalbs and Ditchwater, and the second one called Asphidity and Mad Stones. So I love to hear stories about what was and is traditionally done in the area, not only for for growing food and growing medicine, but also the sort of magic that is imbued in the southern highlands of Appalachia. I do a lot of traveling. Uh, I will be at uh, at the Cauldron Fest. But before that, in fact, uh, this coming Friday, I leave for Edinburgh. I'm going to spend about Ooh. two weeks in Scotland. 
I have uh, traditionally done research on the what are called the border reavers, the folks that live in the mm -hmm. border marches between Scotland and, and England. But this time I'm just I'm going to teach a couple classes and maybe do a book signing and and just play around a little bit, have a good time, even though it's going to rain every day, every day. But I got a good raincoat and a good umbrella and Edinburgh in the rain is better than just about any place not in the rain. So I'm going to be doing that. Um, I've got a book coming out in uh, September called Small Magics, and it's about magical practice. Um, like I said earlier, the ramps are coming up in the little forest farm, and I'm excited about that. We may actually have enough this year to harvest, um, and that will be a good, good day to be able to pull ramps out of my own woods. Um, and uh, I make mm, talismanic, I guess I'm going to call it that, oils, magical oils, and I use a lot of local uh, green products and green herbs. And in fact, I can reach right around the back of my computer where I've got some elderberry tincture that I'm gonna show when we talk about, when we start talking about that. So that's me, I'm a native. I was born in West Bogod, Buncombe County 67 years ago and I go away periodically, but somehow I always come back. <laughs> and I think one of the books, uh was out of print for a while. You couldn't get um, either Asphinity or Mad Stones or the the other one, but it's it looked like they're both ba uh, back on Amazon. So, oh, good, good, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I was like, I and, yes. and I and I have a big jar of Asphinity that I've traveled with, but it is uh, you all know it's a rock. It's kind of a resin rock, um, and the smell will knock you over. The only place I've ever been was uh, an herbal conference where somebody took the lid off the mason jar of the asphodity and took it out of the plastic jar it was in where it's also triple bagged in plastic and went, wow. oh, what a great smell. Because <laughs> you know how we herbalists are. You know how we do. It's, it's kind of like valerian, you know. Yes. Like you either love it or you don't. I mean, I love it. I just, I like literally take the tincture straight up. Like, mm -mm. Mm. but some people are like, mm. like I, I had my mom try it and she's like, oh, that doesn't taste good. <laughs> I was like, oh, I forgot to warn you about that one. <laughs> well, I always tell people if it tasted good, we call it candy, but this is medicine. There's so many sensory wonders out there mm -hmm. in the herbal and natural world mm -hmm. it's uh it's pretty exciting i get excited about all of them like yeah. good and bad and my son is just kind of like mommy you're weird and i'm like, you're I'm like sorry, yeah i go around <laughs> smelling everything 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 i don't know he I found on the ground and then he held it up to his nose and smelled it and then guessed the answer and it was right and i was just like oh a child after my own well, I think, I don't know if I told this story before, but I used to work with this um, this lady who grew up here at one of my hotel jobs. And she told me about this old medicine woman who I would have loved to meet. And she literally just had like um, root, roots on like the wall of her 
cabin just like hanging up i guess to use there was no labels no nothing so you had to know she knew what they were of course but um i was like i want to hear more about that mm -hmm. <laughs> the only bit i got but it was it was really cool um you know that reminds me of um phyllis light that i think yeah. that was phyllis light yeah where she talked about her um was it her grandmother the ginseng so, yeah she had just a cabinet of just ginseng roots and people oh would God. come to her and she would just open up that cabinet and just just pick one you know like whatever spoke to her which is just amazing and she did all this healing with just ginseng root it was awesome wow yeah <clears throat> wow well i always encourage people to learn six plants that are indigenous to their area yeah. six only six because we always want to learn every damn plant. We want to know mm -hmm. everything about everything. But chances are, and I know we live in a very rich area, but chances are if you learn all the properties of six plants that grow near you, you've got all the healing you need for just about everything. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So our first question is, what does spring mean to you and what does this time represent to you? I kind of feel like... Um, it's like the beginning of a roller coaster where you're just like click, 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 click up the, slowly up the track. Yes. And then, and then, and then you get to the top, the first drop, and that's summer. You're like, yeah. It just speeds up and gets crazy. And it just feels like the actual start of the year instead of January. Well, in my spiritual tradition, we follow a kind of a, a Celtic calendar. So for me, spring starts in the beginning of February. And so my definition of spring is a little different than other people's because it's not beautiful flowers and, and chicks and all that. That spring starts with the very first tiny inclinations that the season changed. And we will see that we'll see the elder elderberry is starting to put out leaves and mm -hmm. other chickweed will come out in sheltered areas. And then we're going to get cold weather again and more snow. And, but it, it says that spring isn't just what happens at the equinox. Spring is this incredibly changing time where some things erupt from their winter rest earlier than others. But they are as valuable. They're just as valuable. Um, so when, like right now, people are going, oh, no, it's going to get cold. What are we going to do? Oh, no, the four apple blossoms. It's like that happens here. That's what spring looks like in the southern highlands of Appalachia, is that it'll get cold. It'll get warm. Right now, I've got green onions. I've got peas coming up. I have bok choy and radishes. And yeah, I could choose to cover all those things up because it's going to get down to 27 tonight, but I'm not going to because they will either live or die given the cold. And if they die, there's not so many of them that I can't replant them, but I don't think they will. I think they're going to be perfectly fine. It's that tough love. <laughs> it, is, it is kind of tough love, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Spring is definitely a reset. And I will say, even mm -hmm. today, I noticed just a different kind of energy change 
for myself, you know, just out and about, I just felt like things lifted a little today. And I think we'll see more of that, even though, like Byron said, we're going to have that cold weather. But this is definitely a time of just renewal. It's time of, okay, all, you know, we had winter, we had all this stuff going on, but it's okay. It's like the deep breath. Um, before it all begins and I felt that a lot today especially with the way the wind was blowing and I mean it was just it was real today and you know the one thing I've noticed this year has been really really different for me with spring you know I've always been on this little schedule especially for the business because I do a lot of foraging in the spring and harvest for the entire year and Everything has been different this year. Things are not popping up like they always have. Because I have like a little calendar that says, okay, these are the weeks that you normally harvest this and this and this. And nothing has been the same. As an herbalist, what I love most about us is that we are adaptable. And we can change with the season just as they change. And just do something different, which I've had to do this year. But you know, it is a little disheartening sometimes because like Byron said, chickweed is probably my favorite herb and we eat a lot of it and I preserve a lot of it. And it's just not coming up for me in my normal spots at my normal times right now. And I've never seen that before. So, you know, it does kind of concern me a little. Um, and I hope that doesn't become the norm, but you know, I'm going to change and do something different until that comes back. So like, it's just been a different year, a different spring, I feel like. No snow, we had no, no snow. snow. I don't remember no. a time, now Byron might, but you know, I lived here back in the 90s for several years. My dad grew up here. I just don't remember a time of no snow. No. And I mean, I even, yeah, and you know, the last six years, we've had several snows that covered the ground. We didn't get that at all this year. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Not at all. So I don't know. I there. I have a lot of feelings right now about spring um, and where we are because I feel like some things need to happen for other things to happen. I will say this. I work a lot with the farmers in the markets. Um, I serve on the Weaverville tailgate board, but I, I served on Mars Hill as well. And a lot of them have expressed that concern, too, about how we didn't have snow. And it's very important to have that. So I'm, I'm interested to see how the growing season goes and um, what's going to transpire from not having any snow this year. Not that I mean to be doom and gloom, but, you know, it is something to think about, especially as farmers and foragers, how we fit in with the cycle that's changing. So, Lori, how long have you been harvesting from those same spots? Um, years. Okay. Okay. Because mm -hmm. I've found sometimes that chickweed will kind of disappear mm -hmm. from a spot. And... Well, typically, I don't harvest from one spot. I mean, right, I have yeah. lots, lots of spots that I bring in. And typically, and I've learned some hard lessons, um, I don't harvest a lot at a time because I can't process a lot at a time. Um, and I think that's very important for especially new foragers. You know, we, we find like a big patch of something. We're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to fill all my baskets. But then the reality of it comes when you get home and you're like, 
I can't process all of this reasonably and you have to compost, which is really sad. Um, so, you know, I've learned that I take small little baskets. I do small little things and process along the way because, you know, plus, you know, going to different patches and, you know, I consistently ask farmers, Hey, you've got some green popping up that you don't want in your spots or where you're growing. They're like, yeah, come on, take it all. And I'll do that too, kind of as a steward to them, a weed eater to them. (laughs) The few spots that I have gone to have been plentiful in the last few years and have not shown a decline until this year. Um, So that's been kind of sad. I wonder too, I mean, we had that real cold Mm -hmm. snap under zero for what three or four days around the winter solstice Mm -hmm. and i wonder how that's going to affect stuff correct i agree i agree i'm you know and i try to keep a journal we um we're a weather family one of my kids is he's got a degree from unca in atmospheric science we've always been fascinated with weather and um i love to see the different changes and what's happening not that i enjoy climate change um but, you know, the earth is ever changing all yes. the time. Things are moving, changing, not the same, some the same. So it's been interesting to watch, especially here in Appalachia. I grew up in South Carolina, and I just feel like everything burns up there. It does. It just doesn't grow well. But here, it's just completely different. It's like when we go on our trips to do any kind of foraging, I'm just overwhelmed by how much is here. Well, yeah, it's, it's weird to think about the change over time because I found out that I was recently in Texas visiting my my parents and I was immediately in summer we were talking about it my mom when she digs in her garden she gets shells sometimes Mm -hmm. and Hmm. like a long time ago there was an inland sea that split the um the United States in half. Like yeah. a, all of Texas was under the sea. Wow. Like it just went all the way to Canada, basically. And um, that's why there's so much sandstone there. And I was just like, what? Really? No way. So like it's just it's just fascinating how like mm-hmm. things were so much different. And Florida was completely also gone. My dad and I have a little thing that we do. He's in Florida. And just about every day he's texting me, it's 90 degrees here. And I'm thinking in February, <laughs> I'm like, dad, that's not great, but he loves it. You know, he ran from the mountain cold. It's just interesting how warm it is in a lot of places right now. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of running, I just, I just got back from Florida and going down South. I, Every year I tend to go down south at the beginning of February because I can't take winter anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm a bit of a songbird. I like to migrate down south. For, so my spring normally also starts at the beginning of February. Um, I just got back last night, so I'm still grounding in. And I'm still grateful for that time and excited to see like the green grass growing here and the blooms that are happening so far. And but it does feel like a cocoon time that like, a, you know, there's parts of me that are coming out of my cocoon and there's parts of me that are still not ready yet. So, um, yeah, 
that's what I'm really connecting to. And also just like the, the parts of transformation that don't always feel so good and the parts of transformation that feel um, really exciting and joyful. Just kind of learning how to dance with that. Yeah, I, I really was, I don't know, I was enjoying the heat. Texas is not 100 degrees yet, so it was real nice. Like we'd go out at 10 o'clock at night, take a walk, and um, there's no there's no mountains, so the whole sky is like, you yeah. can see the stars, and um, it's just like all sky. And it's, mm. it's, I was like, you know, I think I like, I, don't, I like Texas, but not when it's a hundred <laughs> degrees. Um, and then the wind, I realized it blows straight. <laughs> and the wind here, goes like this. <laughs> it comes at you one direction, then it comes at you another direction. And I never noticed that before, but I was, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sensitive to the cold. So I, um, I was really actually enjoying some, some of that dry heat. Now I'm back with my hat and five layers of sweaters. <laughs> and however warm it is here, at least we're not having a nor'easter like New England. That's true. Right that's now. true. Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of a, yeah upsetting to watch. Also thankful that I'm not there. <laughs> that's just tough. Um, it was so nice here on this past Saturday, I was just like laying on the ground watching this bird. It was, it was truly soaring. It wasn't flapping its wings. It must have been a hawk because it was a big bird and I could see it from a long way away and it was right over my head. So it was like the perfect silhouette. And I just had this vision of the air coming off the mountains must be similar to like creeks and rivers that come down the watersheds mm -hmm. in the mountain you know like all, each of these little knobs and peaks and coves have their own swirling little eddy of air and um, i also really like thinking about you know where we live we're kind of on a ridge between two deep coves or uh, like ravines i guess uh, ravines, as they might say around here. And um, it's really amazing because it drains the frost off in all the directions. It really helps a lot of the stuff that we have coming up here in early spring kind of show up early. And so I always kind of feel like um, we're a bellwether perhaps up here. And um, usually uh, the pictures that I post, everybody's like, oh, I'm so glad you posted that. I'm going to go check mine. <laughs> <laughs> I just happened to, you know, like see it or be out stalking the woods and finding things, you know, or earlier, I guess I'm, I'm bored. I don't travel. I don't leave. <laughs> I'm always here all the time, every day. And um, just trying to make the best of it. But my gosh, there are few things in this world as magical as Appalachian Spring. Mm-hmm. Agree. I I can I can confidently say that having never really been anywhere else in the world, but I know it in my heart to be true. The thing I think I like about spring most is that it is simultaneously timeless in a time outside of time. Yeah, in a way, or at least up here in the mountain, because 
even after the winter when everything just looks dead, even though you know it's not. I'm very thankful for all of our rhododendrons that we have here so that at least we have, you know, a beautiful blanket of green, even in the winter. The only constant is change <laughs> and spring really shows that really well. Definitely after the long sleep and wait of winter and, you know, you're like, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. <laughs> all winter and now it's spring and it's that time and we're just still hurrying hurrying up and waiting so that really is a good segue into our second question which is what are your favorite plants spring ephemerals that start coming up in the spring why are they your favorite how do you use them they can be medical medicinal herbs vegetables etc ornamentals which we don't usually talk about but hmm. or general ideas on the plants that we start to see in this time of year? I'll go. <laughs> so I don't, you know, this was very hard. I had to think a long time about this. Yeah. I love tons of spring greens, but I will have to say the most that we eat and the most that I um, harvest is definitely chickweed, violet, um, and cleavers. So those are probably my favorite, hands down. And we love to eat them. Pestos, um, a lot of times I will grind them up um, in a juicer, well, in my Vitamix, and make little ice cube blends of whatever so mm -hmm. that I can have that all through the year or as long as they last. They don't ever last that long just because I think they're so good in the springtime for moving the blood, for pushing the lamp to move because, you know, we just kind of get stagnant throughout the winter. And I love the flowers. Like I would pick the flowers in the springtime all the time, every day if I could. And half the time when we're picking violets, we're eating half of what we pick. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's just, you know, but we do. We do a lot of eating. I like to make honeys with them. I like to make, I make one fire cider for the business and it's just whatever was most abundant that year. And this year has most definitely been violets which is always interesting to me to see who speaks the loudest each season. Typically we'll uh, dry a lot of them and add them to my bone broth blend just because I like to add a lot of wild herb to that because I think broths and bone broths are a really good way to take in those tonic herbs and these green greens, especially like nettles, mushrooms, you know, all the things that are popping up right now, throw them in a pot with a, you know, with your, chicken legs and your your bones and it's just great to add all that together so that's we eat them and they're my favorite <laughs> it's my favorite time of year to harvest because I'm gonna tell you right now I'm not a summer girl so I do not like to be outside harvesting in the summertime so in fact I will pay people to go harvest for me <laughs> for the business in the summertime but springtime Every afternoon, I'm out picking those greens. I talked to a friend of mine. It's been a couple years ago now, another hot, dry summer. And he and I were both saying, you know, I just want to garden from like the end of January at that little, yes. we usually have that sweet January thaw. Yeah. I'm going to garden straight through to the beginning of August. And then I want to take some time off. I want to take July and August off. Correct. Not Correct. And just let the land lie fallow. Yes. And then start planting stuff that's going to be good in the fall. That would be my ideal schedule. 
Mm -hmm. like you, I, I don't like that hot, hot mm -mm. weather. No, thank you. No, thank you. But I, I'm going to piggyback off you and talk about stinging nettles because I, I can't sing that song enough about the stinging nettles. They are delicious as tea. I make a tea. I steep them for so long that you can barely see through the mason jar full of tea. It is deep, deep green. And my body, I'll just tilt it back like this and start drinking. And it's like my body just goes, come on, bring it more, bring it on, more, more, more. So I decided that I would I would cut some nettles a few days ago ahead of this of this cold weather. And I put them in with um, some leftover kale that we'd gotten packaged where I'd also uh, done a chicken carcass to get all the broth. And oh, my gosh, I had that for lunch today and it set me up for the whole day. Mm -hmm. It was just wonderful. So n n nettles somehow go right to my heart and my heart expands and the world seems possible mm -hmm. and my life seems possible and dealing with climate change seems I just love them. They invigorate me in ways that I I don't I can't even express the way I need to how wonderful stinging nettles are. And like I said, I always take my gloves off so I get that sting at the end of the of the harvest and that that like sends an electric shock through my whole body and it feels like it wakes up a lot of things that had been dormant probably since before the winter solstice and i i just love it love it so much and and i noticed today when i was out that the dandelions are are coming out mm -hmm. i'm gonna let them give them another week yep. or so before i start to harvest but same thing you eat dandelions i eat dandelions and it it feeds my soul I, no question it feeds my body and helps with my old brittle bones and all that stuff but these spring greens they they transform me from my sleepy winter self into the self that can move about in the world and do things so they have a magical property to them uh, a health and life-giving property to them, in addition to being delicious and and readily available. They, I, I just can't say enough about them. My, my husband one year was, um, he's from New York, so he loves a nice clean lawn. He wants a, he wants a lawn. And he, he came in bragging a few years ago saying, I think I got the last of the dandelions out of the yard. And I went, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, I think I got them all out of the yard. So I went into the compost and I dug them out, of course, <laughs> so that I could harvest the leaves and the roots. And I said, you do know we eat those, right? And he said, no, no, we don't. I've never eaten those. And I said, anytime I give you pasta with sauteed greens, what do you think those greens are? And he said, well, I don't know. I, th I thought they were spinach. And I said, well, sometimes they are, but sometimes they're dandelions. Oh. Crazy. crazy. <laughs> and I will say we have had a wonderful year for violets this year. Yeah. yeah, the chickweed has been a little sparse, but the violets, oh, they're just glorious. 
And, you know, I want to add to the spring greens. There's something about the spring greens that um, are almost like, like you just want to lay down in them. They have like this comforting, you know, it's going to be okay. I mean, you know, yeah. we think about violet and it's heart's ease, you know, we, it is easing the heart as we transition. Yeah. Cause you know, every transition, even just in seasons affects us differently. And we need those greens to kind of carry us into the next season. And they do such a good job. And they're so gentle with us, especially, you know, cause we're so loud. We're just above and beyond and almost obnoxious sometimes in this world but they're just laying low they're cool they are gentle it's just the magic that they hold mm-hmm. and that's what we need and i just i don't know it's just something to just sit there i will say this really quick and, and i know i'm taking up other people's time i'm sorry but we've had COVID in our house the last two weeks. And um, this is the first time that we've had it. And, and everybody's good, everybody's good. But one of my kiddos has had it a little worse than the others. And he's at the end, he went back to school today. But over the weekend, there's something about being outside that really rejuvenates him. And we were sitting there picking violets together and I look over at him and his eyes are closed. The sun is shining on his face. And I mean, he's just got violets all around him, you know, and he's just like, there's just something about this space right now. And I think that's how we all feel. He's been in the house for over a week and it's like this beautiful, comforting release. And he needed that that day, but you could just see it all over his face. And that's because of these beautiful, loving plants that were just encircling him at the moment. Um, and I think that's how they do every spring for us if we just stop and listen to that. I'm just so sad. And, and I think that it just, you know, we moved, um, we had to move to a we used to live in a neighborhood and you used to at least walk. I didn't have any uh, yard or anything, but um, I could walk and everyone had like all their gardens and everything. So I could walk by the echinacea, I can walk by the, you know, all the, I could see all the plants popping up. And now we live in like a complex. I do have like a hill that I could walk up and it's basically like in, it's like, for some reason, this housing complex has decided to keep a lot of wood space. So, but there's this hill and it's sort of like a drainage, almost like a drainage area, but it's a path and it goes straight up and then it ends up in the woods. In the fall, there's something about goldenrod up there, which is amazing. <laughs> um, but really like that, if I don't walk up that hill, I feel super cut off from any kind of outside green plants or anything, especially since I work in like a concrete box. I'm talking about getting out and spending some time outside. And I used to be able to run outside, but there's not any, I have to find a place to like run outside. But, you know, right now I'm running on a treadmill and I'm staring at the blank wall and I'm like, "Mm." well, when I was in Texas, I got to run outside of my parents' little development. And it was like, I was like, oh, running on a treadmill you know i just like outside there's so many birds you know you can see the nature and the birdies and the you know and um uh just 
we're meant to be outside. It's just, I just realized there's just such a, um, a suffering of my health that I feel like, you know, um, so I really, really, um, so I'm like, okay, I got to go up at least up that hill more often, um, right now until like, you know, I can get my life to a place where I can <laughs> be more with the plants, you know, be more outside. It's just, yeah, it's very calming. Um, it's very comforting, you know, even if you're not while crafting anything, if you're, even if you're just in a park, um, it's just, it just makes such, such a difference. I understand what you're talking about, Lori, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I feel the, the flowers. I've been tuning into the flowers and also making like flower essences from them. And what the first one that came to mind when you were speaking was buttercup. It's that like inner sunshine, um, confidence, strength, and supporting us in making transitions, whether it's different work or different, or just the inspiration to go outside. And it's just that like inner sunshine. So even indoors, it can support that as well. And I was driving through um, Georgia and South Carolina, and there's wisteria everywhere. And I know it's an invasive, oh, yeah. but sometimes these medicines are here for a reason. So I looked up what wisteria was supported for in a flower essence yesterday, and it was for women that have a hard time with sexuality. And, um, oh. and that blossom and helping them connect to intimacy on a deeper level and release sexual shame. And I was like, wow, that's so beautiful. And so, and just like, and also just like they're, if they have a hard time connecting with others in general, just intimacy in general expressing themselves so so we stopped we pulled over on the way home and we just had a bag of it and i made a flower essence and um so i'm trying to you just make friends with the, the invasive species and listen to kind of what medicine why they're here and they just smell so good so i was like oh my gosh <laughs> i just i have all over my room and just so delicious excited for the kind of sensu the sensuality of all the different smells and it awakens our sensuality in spring and then another one that that comes up to me it hasn't quite bloomed yet but it's star of bethlehem and that one is going to be blooming soon and that one is also really supportive for um, moving grief but also parts of ourselves that are stuck in shock that even like parts of ourselves that are stuck in shock from a hard you know, like experience, like even years ago, can help, the Star of Bethlehem can help bring us back. And so if there's any parts of us that are stuck from winter or stuck from bad news, um, Star of Bethlehem can like help bring you back and help bring those parts of you that are um, needing to return home and also help you move through that grief. And so I remember last year, I was this time of year, I was helping take care of my dad and um, there was star and there's star of Bethlehem all over his yard. I was like, why is this here? And um, that's when I really began developing a deeper connection to it. And so yeah, just support it's a, it feels like a really good ally for this time to kind of get us parts of ourselves that may be feeling stuck from winter moving. Yeah, so if you ever hear like, you know, hard news like you're listening to the news and it's it's hard to listen to your your parts of you are wanting to go back into cocoon and wanting to get stuck. If you can take that more immediately, you can help you move through it. Maybe 
the earth oh, needs us cool. not stuck and <laughs> constantly hiding. <laughs> so that's important. Yes. And sometimes you, you know, a lot of times you don't, it's unconscious. So you just don't know. It's hard to get to those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another mover and shaker is also sassafras. I've been really connecting to that intimately in the past year. And I know for the most part, we don't normally harvest roots in the spring, but sassafras is an exception in my opinion. Um, it can be a good spring cleanser um, in just making the tea from the root and also a tincture from it. And if you have um, leftover sassafras medicine from last year, it's also supportive, but it's great for spring cleansing, but also just a heart opener. And it's nice to support the natural remedy. I know it's... Um, used in you know party inner party times in these times but also just like the regular natural medicine is just as supportive to the heart so it can be a good alternative it's also tasty yeah <laughs> <laughs> i enjoy hearing what everybody else is saying too and sassafras and nettles and chickweed and you know all all of these amazing classics <laughs> timeless classics at least here for us um i don't know my mind was wandering just now to uh, a rather different uh, early spring plant which is um actually an indigenous staple crop of the appalachians it's called saxifrage or branch lettuce as they call it around mm -hmm. here yeah and um you know it was really interesting because um a really amazing elder old-timey friend of mine told me about branch lettuce as he calls it and um you know how traditionally you know by the settlers here they made something called kilt lettuce which when you take hot grease and pour over like bacon grease or something and pour over this you know freshly harvested it's, it's just it's kind of like lettuce but it's almost succulent some of it's a little fuzzy so that's an interesting texture <laughs> um i mean not like really fuzzy but you know just barely fuzzy and um but you know even farther back than that you know it has um been an indigenous food staple here for a really long time and it's always one of my favorite early spring greens and I have been hawking a patch um, here on our property. We've had some trees fall out in places, which have opened the creek up to more sunshine. And with that, you know, uh, many things have been growing, including jewelweed, um, which are, you know, nice, healthy sprouts about this time. Although I'm not sure. I guess they'll probably be fine through the cold weather. Uh, they always are. <laughs> and so um, this this uh, plant, saxifrage, and jewelweed always kind of grow together, uh, kind of in the creek in the wet spots. And um, so those two are some of my favorites. Um, obviously, bloodroot is such a fascinating um, at-risk medicinal plant. And I say it's at risk because it's currently, like many things, being over harvested, you know, mm -hmm. by people who may not really understand the unique biological, um, you know, like growths 
of these long-lived forest plants. Um, but one of my favorite things about bloodroot is that it's ant pollinated and ant spread. Oh. So, you know, I'm kind of wondering right now, because uh, many of our bloodroots are in full bloom, and suddenly we're having this cold weather, and I'm like, ants, <laughs> what are they doing? Are they hanging out underground? Are they coming out and doing their little ant thing? Are they, you know, coming eating the um, episto epistome off of the blood root and carrying it off to their nests right now? Or, you know, or what are the pollinators, you know, doing with blood root when it's really cold like this? You know, blood root only blooms for a few days spent so um blood root is a really fascinating one uh spice bush is really fun um and, and it blooms so early a lot of people don't even know that it blooms or what it looks like but um you know spice bush it's very spicy and it has almost that camphor spice to it it was kind of like cinnamon but a little different and um I've started harvesting gently some of the blossoms when they're in full bloom, and it's right about now. But I have to be careful because if I harvest too many of the blooms, then I won't have the berries later in the year. Mm -hmm. So that's always, you know, something fun and interesting to, you know, kind of consider about ethical foraging and wild harvesting mm -hmm. is, um, you know, get the blooms then there may not be any seeds <laughs> there probably won't be in fact seeds at least from that, that spot um let's see i was kind of going back through my pictures here trying to see um i know i'm forgetting a couple unfortunately but um trillium is almost always the first thing to see up here and we have this beautiful mm -hmm red model leaf trillium and it was the first one i saw this winter this winter this is still technically winter no matter how i delude myself to thinking it's spring already um that was the first wildflower i saw and i learned something really interesting recently i was speaking to um, a friend um and he said that, in, they said that in the Cherokee language, trilliums mean of the thunder and were not picked because of their, I mean, they were not picked for medicine. They were almost considered as people. They were so important and they lived 20, some of them lived like 20 years, you know, these plants wow. get really quite old. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, they're, they're really, impressive and sometimes only some of them not all of them and it's really funny it's kind of a trick because i think these um trilliums are at the very least at the very least tricking me into pollinating them <laughs> so i'm like crawling around on the ground with my camera um you know just like wallowing in the leaves and smelling of these trillium because sometimes you'll get a big one and it smells like it smells like strawberry wine mm -hmm. so it's really fruity but it's almost like wine and it's slightly fermented 
and it just it smells to me like distant thunderstorms. I don't know. It's almost like the smell of summer before it even gets here. You know, kind of like that uh, low pressure in the air, a smell of rain in the distance, and berries. <laughs> so those are the ones I get particularly excited about. But the thunder, the thunderous trillium, I feel like is um, one of my all-time favorites. And I don't pick it. Obviously, it's it's used for medicine, but it's, enda- it's endangered in some places because of the, you know, um, plant trade. And um, so it's really important to you know respect and learn about these plants. But um, yeah, tri- trillium. These 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 native. Trillium here are just some all-time favorites. Yeah, yeah we have a few here too. We only have three um, that we've noticed, and um, Pipsisua. We have lots of Pipsisua um, on this property, which is so much fun to watch. And you know, it's here all through the winter, you know, doing its thing. But yeah, you're right. There's something magical about Trillium. You just, you approach it quietly. You, I mean, like, it's just something about it. <laughs> gentle with it. You take care right. of it. You watch it. Protect it. <laughs> That's right. My, my six-year-old son knows that he can, uh, he can get away. Well, I don't want to say he can get away with almost anything, but few things are as bad as stepping on a trillium mm-hmm. in my sight. <laughs> I'm like, just don't do it. Just step yeah. around them. It's polite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I know they're, they're pretty special for sure. And it fit, the, when there's so many of them blooming mm-hmm. at this time, it just really fills our whole cove. It's such an amazing sensory roller coaster. <laughs> Jennifer, to go back to you. Your, your huh? analogy. I said kind of like the the, the oh the roller coaster. Yeah, the roller coaster. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then it just really gets gets going, and you know, it's hard to keep up. Um, so my question is, um, if uh, trillium is a medicinal, what briefly what is it often used for? Does anyone know? Because I don't know. So um, I haven't really read up on its medicinal qualities in a while, but some kinds of trillium are used medicinally. I know one of its traditional names are also called um, birthwort or bethwort, uh, related to, you know, maybe properties around childbirth Mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. But I'm not really, I mean, I'm kind of an herbalist, but. I don't keep up on medicinal qualities of like some things. I don't know. That's kind of a non-answer. Sorry. No, that's okay. That's. <laughs> I mean, um, I didn't know. I I didn't remember anyone ever. The only thing I knew about it was that that it was endangered and that yeah, it had medicinal qualities. So, but you know, there's a lot of plants, so it's hard to know all of them. Yes. Yeah, I think. Trillium, one of the uses is for a postpartum bleeding. It's okay. been used for that. That's pretty important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, this isn't an herb, but it kind of is. And mushrooms this time of year, they're kind of fearless. 
early, early morels, they always seem like people to me too. The trilliums do and those early morels. So I, I can't imagine being somebody who would pick morels this early in the season because I know there's a first flush usually around this time, but they just feel, they feel so sacred to me. And I feel, I feel humbled in the presence both of trillium and also of those really early mushrooms. There's just something, it sounds silly, they're so tiny, majestic about them. I feel like I should bow or curtsy when I when I see them. I love the curtsy, of course, Byron. <laughs> In short video of Byron curtsying to morale. Don't think I couldn't because I could. I believe so. <laughs> I am more, I would be more likely actually to put a beautiful stone near them and, and thank them, you know, that sort of way. But yeah, hell yeah, I would curtsy. Why not? <laughs> Byron in Wonderland. Like a <laughs> tiny version of yourself. Like, the whole, like could the you whole imagine? World like, feels that's right. <laughs> the whole world feels like that to me. I just I maybe it's second childhood really creeping in, but there are things that I just I just stop and look at them and I go, This is astounding. Like I, I I'm the person who checks to see when the peas germinate. I look at them twice a day and I just peer in the soil and there's first that little white like a comma. And then you go, oh, the piece germinated. And now what happens? And they just, they feel like such beings. All the plants do to me. We have a, an old and much abused uh, red oak tree in our driveway. And for the first time, we brought in an arborist to do some work because it, it's growing over the neighbor's porch and some other things. And I went out to it. And of course, the arborist came and said, we can't really do anything until it the sap falls and it's safe to do that and called on the winter solstice to say they were going to come and do the trimming on the tree and i just went out to the tree and i put my arms around it and i said you're about to get a haircut and you won't know that till you wake up so so i want you to know i'm I, we waited till it would be okay well, now the oak tree is about to wake up. It's going to wake up in the next six weeks. And I'm going to be out there every day looking at it and kind of listening to see if it's like, hmm, I look good. <laughs> so I will I will be checking on the oak tree to make sure it's okay with, uh, with what got done to it. And that's just I really am kind of a tree hug and dirt worshiper and I hold all of these beings close to me. I feel a, a genuine kinship to all of them, but I also, you know, I always, I also feel I'm not worthy. You know, I, I'm terribly aware that my species does a lot of damage on this planet and I can't make up for that. I can't. Um, I can be respectful of all the other beings that are uh, that are here, but I can't fix what my um, what my species is doing. I don't have the authority. I don't have the power to do that. Now, that's something I wish I really did have the power to do, but I don't. So when Lori's talking about wildcrafting and saying, well, 
you not really pick that anymore because it's so over harvested. Every time someone out of the goodness of their heart does yet another class in foraging, I just think, why? Stop it. Find another way to make money because we send these, these baby foragers out and they just don't. They Because they don't have the, the years of experience looking at a piece of land and knowing when you should. We're losing more hard about it. They want to be close to the land. They want to take what they can take that will that will benefit them and their families. And and I just don't I just don't think we're very good at that. I don't think we're good at sharing the bounty that is the natural world around us. I think about everything supersized these days. And I think that's just kind of the way that we are now. We're supersized. We supersize everything. So we think we're supposed to go and get as much as possible. It's almost, it's almost has a small thread of fear in it. Yeah. Um, where if I don't get it all, somebody else will. Or, and that is just the wrong way to step into the relationship with that plant. Um, and I think, you know, I know some really good teachers and they do talk about this, but I also know some teachers that don't talk about this, but you know, you have to set up that relationship and come at it as if you are a paired partnership and you wouldn't want somebody to take a lot of you. You know, we, we don't, even though as women, we do that, we give away a little too much. I think sometimes right. our time and our energy, but we should not step into that relationship with these plants in the same manner. Like mm -hmm. we do enter into the, the world, you know, for me, it's just every time I step into that, it's almost like a little bubble when I'm with that yeah. plant, it's a whole magical realm. It's like completely separate from the world. And I can't treat it the same as, as how I treat the world. And no, I think that is a no. lesson that is missed a lot. I loved what you said earlier about now you do small foraging, small basket foraging, mm -hmm. because you know how much you can process, how much you can mm -hmm. use. Yeah. And even though that's part of what your income mm -hmm. is, and we all have to have some kind of income, Yeah, you, you are are in an acknowledged kinship with with the biosphere and you know you can you can take this much and not have to compost it yes because you can actually process that much and if all of us took that on as an understanding and and i'm going to go to elderberry just for a minute because elderberry is the most generous plant mm -hmm. you can take half of the blossom that comes out and and tincture it and make whatever you need to out of it and still have that much left over that will turn into berries yeah. but if we went through and harvested all of the elder flower to do cordials and tinctures and whatever mm -hmm. then there would be no elderberry no. and and i just don't know that humans at this point in our non-development are capable of that kind of discernment mm -mm. And no. I think you're right. I think it's fear. It's completely fear-based. Yep. If I don't take all of this 
and use it. And I will use it. I promise I will use it. But if I don't take all of it, somebody else may take it all and then there won't be any for next time. Yep. And that's why we encourage people to start growing more herbs. Like, yes. The Rosemary Glassarp has been saying that for years, just like the importance of like, we have plenty of product makers. We really need more herbal growers. Yeah. yeah. I even tried to order some herbs from Mountain Rose Herbs oh. weeks ago, and it was like so many things were sold out. And so that's just a, a big invitation for yeah. us to go deeper into our growing and teaching about what, what people can grow and just um, kind of, like you said, like you all saying, like just like being really careful with the foraging teaching mm -hmm. and making sure there's a deep consciousness shift around that teaching too. You know, I was talking to Lori Burra today and um, she asked me because we were talking about the Wild Herb Weekend and um, she's like, would you like to teach foraging? I said, no. Um, first off, because there's others that are a lot more, um, know a lot more than I do because, in fact, years ago while um, at Wise Woman, I took one of Byron's classes. And in that same year, I think Natalie Bogwalker was doing, um, yeah. And both of you said the same thing, you know, pick your top 10 and that's what it is. You said a little less. And I've stuck with that because I feel like sometimes when we, I mean, it's great to know a lot of herbs and it's great to be in relationship with a lot of herbs, but it's like everything. When you're doing too much, you can't do anything good. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you have your few, and I've honed my craft so much now, there are only certain plants that I deal with, and that's it. And, you know, I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with that. And I'm okay telling people, this is all I know. Because I remember one day I was out with someone, and we were on their land. They're like, what is that? And I'm like, the hell if I know. You know, and it's not because I don't want to know. It's not because I don't want to share, but it's not one of my herbs and it's not one of the relationships that I have. And I'm yeah. not going to teach somebody about a plant that I don't have a relationship with. I think it's important that, you know, we don't try to know everything, but we need to know what we know very well. Yeah. Because I, you know, I mean, there's, and I try to only forage within five miles of where I live. And I think that's something that's very important too. There's so many plants. You're going to find, you know, that's those six plants where you live. You're going to find them. Even if you have to ask. And that's why you'll see consistently on Facebook. I'm like, hey, does anybody have this plant on your property? Because if you do, can I come harvest? Is it clean? I will teach you about this plant. And that's how we you know, progress and we move, you know, teaching others. But you're right, Byron, there's just too much free for all. <laughs> and I'll tell you, years ago, when I was in South Carolina, we would drive up to Max Patch. Yeah, it was one of our favorite places. And yeah. over the years, you know, I've seen it somewhat decline. Granted, there's a group of people doing some really great things right now for them, yeah. for Max Patch. But I watched the elderberry and the blackberry harvest change completely in like the last 15 years. Because, you know, I would come and just take a small basket and we would be good to go. So much so that I stopped coming all together. 
just because everything changed dramatically. I mean, it was weird. And now, you know, I'll seek more local, but it, it is very concerning, the herbs that are disappearing. When I'm teaching people, I'm like, you guys, you only need to take, take your jar with you if you have a trouble figuring out how much you need to take. Yeah. You know, yeah. just like flower essences, we, we bring our little jar when we go out, you know, we only need a little, um, but people don't understand that because we live in this big, supersized world. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a challenge for sure right now. And you feel it. I mean, Max Patch is the perfect example. You feel the lack. It feels like locusts have been through. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and you feel it in the land. It's like we are not covered in the way we were. We are not nutritious and nourishing in the way that we were because of that intense lack. Mm -hmm. Or destruction thereof. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I'd like to speak just for the one, like the exception of like really pushing harvesting of invasive species for medicine. And that's mm -hmm. where I, that's, that's the abundance of like, why is this here? Like, why is this invasive? And maybe it is medicine for Americans. So just like kudzu is great for Lyme's disease. And that's just a huge epidemic right now. It's great yeah. for al supporting alcoholics getting off of alcoholism. Um, and it's yeah. great for alternatives of creation. So there's that like abundance of invasives that like if we make an industry out of it, it can actually help the forest yeah. and help the natives regrow and so let's just like push that kind of foraging mm -hmm. be like go get all the invasives you want like just do it and just like and just really teach about them and lift them up and not be like they're the enemies we need to pull them out and not teach about the medicine that them. And just because like, japanese knotweed is delicious mm -hmm. exactly yeah. yes yeah so yeah. all we need to do is eat it yeah <laughs> and we'll we'll eat anything to extinction that's just mm -hmm. what humans do. Yeah. So if there's something like we were talking about kudzu earlier today, it works just like grape leaves for stuffed grape leaves. Mm. So let's just eat all the kudzu or if they yeah. call it around here, kudji vine, let's just <laughs> eat all the damn kudji vine and what we let's can't eat, let's turn it into baskets. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Why not? All right. Problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we just need somebody who's really cool, yeah, really cool, uh, you know, and to just go, oh, look what I'm doing now. I'm harvesting kudzu. Oh, we need to you know that the that. flowers smell just like grape knee high. Oh, what? <laughs> and then we will just it all. We'll strip all of Georgia bare. <laughs> <laughs> we need an oh. herbal influencer. That's right. Well, there's the Black Forager. Yes, she's great. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so maybe we get her to be like, hey, do this more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Eat that, not this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But okay. I will say the mugwort is already up. Oh, yeah, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's it's going to be a, a very good year for mugwort. <sighs> yeah, yep. Absolutely, I agree. Well, Sarah is having some uh, power cord issues, so she's going to have to cut out early. Thank you so much for, for joining us again, and um, hopefully we'll do this for 
summer and have you back. I'll put all your uh, links. So if you want to learn more about Sarah and what she's doing, please, please check that out. So um, I hopefully have a good night. <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer, Lori, and Deanna. Hi, Sarah. Always, always <laughs> love, um, you know, hearing from, yeah, all, all of you and us and, and this panel is really fun. Yes. As soon as I, I'm getting my camera soon, so I'm going to still bug you about yes. coming out to the mountain. <laughs> Once I get my camera, so we can I can follow you around, and we can uh, you know would be look fun. at some plants, hopefully several yeah. times. Hopefully, <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, out here, it's like you have to look through it. You have to look at them all, you know, like over and over throughout the year. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. All right. Well, take care. We'll talk soon. Bye. And um, I'll just have to. I'll have to say bye to Byron else, elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good night. Good night. So, do you have any rituals or holidays that you celebrate at this time of year? If so, what are they, and why is it important that you observe them? Well, I, I'll talk a little bit about um, the. Um, vernal equinox because it if spring for for me started at the beginning of february at the very earliest glimpses of spring and we honor bridget as a healer and it's just it's a it's a wonderful time but by the time we get to the the vernal equinox it really does look like spring mm -hmm. and all of that stuff that got lopped over into the easter celebration I just want to take all that stuff back and that's what I like to do. I like to do, um, I like to dye eggs with natural stuff like onion skins and beets. Um, and, and something that we did in my family is that once we dyed them with beets, the plain uh, boiled eggs, we made them into what my grandmother called Easter egg babies. And we took colored pencils and did little faces and hair and all that. And it's a really fun thing to do with, especially with children, but I'm finding elders like it too. And with the new, the new renewed interest in everything Ukrainian, of course, there's the creation of pisanki eggs. And those are the ones that you, you dip hot wax to make designs and they're just oh, beautiful, yeah. elaborate mm -hmm. eggs. So I love bringing eggs in and really talking about how eggs hold life and it's a universal symbol for life and then the thing about bunnies i mean yeah. jesus didn't have no bunnies that's all that's all northern european craziness and and it's all about life it's all about bunnies breed and there's little baby bunnies and not and little lambs same thing so that when we were cultures that had to close in for the winter and eat the stores that we had we had prepared for that time there came the point where we stepped outside and we got down on our knees and ate chickweed and we ate everything green around us and then what we also needed was perhaps the flesh of these young animals and so it gave us the sense of hope that tribally we would serve we had survived the winter so there is not only the sense of the joy of delicious, new, nutritious things to eat, but the idea that the world has awakened into the fullness of life, and we have too. 
So I love to do all of those things to celebrate the spring arriving and, and to give your neighbors cut flowers and, and all of that and really figure out how, once again, we weave a community that moves from our hearth out into the world. And we take our hearts with us, too, when we do that. So that's what I do. Eggs, eggs, eggs. So as a family, we celebrate, uh, like Byron, the vernal equinox. And we are um, definitely of northern European descent. Um, my grandmother was Welsh. So, you know, we really try hard to stay focused you know, and celebrate each time um, a new holiday comes. So with that, since there are five of us and you know, my children are adults now, even though they're still at home, we take turns. So this year, the vernal equinox lies with my husband who plans our ritual, who plans our meals, our celebration, how we um, dedicate that season in our lives and how we present it to the world. That's just how we do it every year. So everybody takes a turn, but we always bless the garden. We have a big um, actual ritual where we bury eggs in the garden. We've written things on them, give them to the garden. And a lot of times the lovely animals take them, but that's okay. That's okay. The words have been given to the garden. They know our intentions, but we do that. And then we bless the front porch. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, through the winter, especially here um, and especially in Madison County, we don't kind of go to each other's homes. You know, a lot of times the driveways are impassable. Weather keeps us kind of close to home, but it, there's something about springtime and the warmer weather and things waking up, everybody wants to get out. So I'm like, I already had people, you know, coming to the porch. And I take that very seriously because I'm definitely um, a hearth witch. And I really take taking care of my home serious. So I reset my ward during that time. I really give my porch a good cleanse and set some really strong intentions. And that's kind of how I go with this season. A little bit of spring cleaning outside. Um, we tend to the house, the garden, the land, because um, everything's kind of been sleeping. So we we try to be there as it's waking up and greeting. Um, just like Byron was talking about the tree, we kind of do the same thing with all the plants here, and that's how we celebrate this time of year. Well, this well, this specific year, I took um, in February. I didn't do any sugar. Was that kind of helping me? cleanse with spring and that was the first time I've ever been that disciplined around sugar and and it was amazing just to like how I, mean, I don't normally even eat candy that much but just like in certain um foods that like even just like canned tomato soup will have like 20 grams of sugar and just like how much mm -hmm. is hidden in the culture and how much my my moods were way more stabilized without that regular sugar and so anyways this this year, um, I just danced under the moon all night with my sisters to celebrate spring coming and did a lot of dancing under the moon. And that was really supportive to um, just awakening parts of myself again and reconnecting with sisters and reconnecting to the nighttime and my love for the moon and the stars. And 
so I'm excited to do that every year from now. Yeah. That's awesome. And also just a more, more practical ritual is just like planting the seeds of the greenhouse. I'm getting that going wherever I am living at the time. Planting the seeds and getting the plants going. And that's also another favorite ritual. It's like the planting those seeds and planting the seeds of new beginnings. And not rushing mm -hmm. it. Nice thing about the philosophy of gardening is you can, it's a, you plant it and you, you don't get anything right away. So just that helps me slow down, have peace in the spring. It sounds like there's like a, I don't know if we specifically talked about it, but there seems like a theme of reconnection in the spring, reconnection with other people, reconnection with. Uh, the land outside and the plants and the animals. So that's, that's really cool. You know, I definitely feel dis disconnected. I've had a bit of a bumpy um, couple of months with my health and everything else. And so I had to, um, that's why I was in Texas. I had to take a month leave off work, but just the whole like, a lot of the ways that we interact with the world is like, I think I internalize them and then I interact with myself that way and they can be kind of toxic. So just trying to remember like all these other ways to interact, like slowing down and all the other stuff and the connection is really, really important. Sorry, that was a tangent, but... <laughs> Good tangent. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. I know how we can support you and uplift you too. You know? I mean, just doing this is um, is help is helpful. You know, um, yeah. definitely um, is supporting me in a way that I don't usually get supported or have never gotten supported ever just having everybody on and I just just blown away all the all the time every time I have these ideas and you guys help make them happen and that is amazing to me my life is not quite where I would like it there seems to be a lot of support behind this um this particular project and that gives me a lot of hope. Say thank you so much for all the weaving you've been doing. You've been weaving all of us together and you've been weaving like all of these, like you've been just giving a voice to so many herbalists in Appalachia and beyond. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's a really yeah. big container you're holding. So let us hold you too and like reach out to us. And if there's herbs we can bring you, packages, anything, Absolutely. please like reach out to us because you've been like, really lifting us up and we are ready to lift you up too so you don't have yeah. to do this alone and we love you oh. and, we love <laughs> and don't be shy about asking for what you need correct because correct. even if we can't supply it we're gonna know somebody who can yeah exactly exactly yeah. Well, so don't be I, shy i will as soon as i stop this recording <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've never experienced this before in my life. And um, I think it's so important to have community. 
and we're so cut off a lot of us and for people to see you and maybe in a different way than you see yourself uh we're going to end with uh some spring quotes i just snagged of two that i pulled off of goodreads and one is from uh the book the mockingjay what i need to survive is not gail's fire kindled with rage and hatred i have plenty of fire myself what i need is the dandelion in the spring the bright yellow that means rebirth instead of destruction the promise that life can go on no matter how bad our losses that it can be good again and only pita can give me that but i like that one because it talked about the dandelion <laughs> one of my favorite plants and then this one was from Silent Spring by Rachel Carlson. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that, but uh, Silent Spring is a, you might know this, is an environmental science book and it documents the adverse environmental effects caused by the indiscriminate use of pesticides. And she accused the chemical industry of spreading disinformation and public officials of accepting the industry's marketing claims. And then, so the book appeared in 1962 and the outcry that followed this publication forced the ban of DDT and spurred revolutionary changes in laws affecting our air, land, and water. And it was the book that inspirational, inst well, this says it's inst instrumental in launching the environmental movement, which is pretty Absolutely. cool, pretty cool book. Um, she doesn't get nearly enough credit for the work that she did. And I, I, I mean, she was just a chick, you know. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. What could she possibly know? Why right. isn't she home making her husband some supper? Correct. Yeah, she was amazing. And she was a badass and she, she amazing. I can't say enough. She yeah. sounds like it. I'm like, oh, I got to read this book now because I've heard the name just floating around. But I, I, yeah. So this is a quote. Those who comp 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 contemplate. The beauty of earth find reserves of strength that will endure as long as life lasts. There is something infinitely healing in the repeated reframes of nature, the insurance that dawn comes after night and spring comes after winter. I have a Mary yeah. Oliver poem, if you'd like to hear that, about spring. I love all of her work. Mm -hmm. Somewhere a black bear has just risen from sleep and is staring down the mountain. All night in the brisk and shallow restlessness of early spring, I think of her, her four black fists flicking the gravel, her tongue like a red fire touching the grass, the cold water. There is only one question, how to love this world. I think of her rising like a black and leafy ledge to sharpen her claws against the silence of the trees. Whatever else my life is with its poems and its music and its glass cities, it is also this dazzling darkness coming down the mountain, breathing and tasting. All day I think of her, her white teeth, her wordlessness, her perfect love. I love that. I love her. Oh my gosh. She she got it. Mine is super simple. It's an Irish proverb, but it always gets me thinking. If you do not sow in the spring, you will not reap in the autumn. 
So I'm always checking myself. What am I planting right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because am I planting rotten seeds or what, you know, what's going to happen? <laughs> it keeps me in check. I love that, that quote. Me too. I have happiness. The color of it must be spring green. Francis Mays. We just like, we don't always associate green with our heart, but that's like the color of the heart chakra. It's like letting our hearts get received that new medicine and release bitterness or resentment that no longer serving us and just let that fresh green of spring inspire us to do it again. <laughs> Embrace, embrace this journey. <laughs> hey everyone, this is Jennifer. I am from the future. Woo! I briefly come on to um, let you know that this episode has some outtakes and some extra bits at the end that didn't quite fit in with the flow of the podcast itself, but they're so good that I didn't want anyone to miss it. So please stay till the end after we've all signed off. There's about four of them and a super long, cool chat by Sarah Jackson of the Spring Ephemerals and all about them. So that's, that's really neat. And I also wanted to add that if you are in the Asheville area, the first weekend in May, we are going to do a live panel, first ever live panel at the, the, um, the Asheville Herb Festival. It's going to be Saturday the 6th at 2 p.m. in the workshop tent. So if you're there, say hi. We'd love to meet our listeners. Uh, both Ellen and I will be there, as well as a fabulous panel. So yeah, we're excited and nervous. And yes, and oh, what did I get myself into? So <laughs> all right, talk to you later. Bye. On that note, we are going to be ending uh, this podcast chatting about spring. Yeah, hopefully we'll be having a summer one. So stay tuned. Don't know when that's going to be. We'll have to get together. <laughs> but somehow it happens. Stay tuned for that. We are also soon approaching our 50th anniversary episode so we're pretty excited about that and of course i'm excited about our live panel that will also be recorded so it'll be you'll be able to watch it on youtube and listen please check us out on all of our social media youtube apple Podcasts, spotify TikTok, <laughs> um, <laughs> all the places all the places, all the places. <laughs> all the places. not twitter we're not on twitter <laughs> not yet or you know, um instagram and check out everyone else all of our fabulous guests i want to thank everybody from for coming again today hey chatting i think we could probably chat all night um <laughs> um if you'd like to support us you can currently support us through our anchor page and then i am working on a patreon so hopefully that will be up so thank you Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. <laughs> I would say that my favorite springtime activity 
is taking a nap on the ground. I take a blanket. I just lay down. Sometimes I'll do a hammock. But, you know, being outside, just, you know, like foraging and drinking from the creek, which I would not recommend to people unless they're <laughs> obviously completely informed of yeah. drinking creeks. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, be, just being out in it. I mean, we have a very tiny house. And we're all just crammed all up in here together all winter with a wood stove. It takes a lot of energy to like heat our house with wood. And so it's just so nice to just feel like you can just go outside and just be warm and just soak up the sun. That's my favorite. um, That's my favorite springtime activity. Yeah. I I know it's, it's nice. (laughs) I spend the whole winter like wearing a whole bunch of layers and take a bunch off and they're just like, oh, everything is warm. <laughs> yeah. Not so heavy. Not so heavy. Very light. Yeah. So Miss Byron, what's your favorite six plants then? Oh, okay. And then we'll then we'll start the question. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Well, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Oh no. Well, because, you know, it has to do with the season, too. Like, my favorite plant right now in all the world is stinging nettle. Oh, mine too, yes. Because it's, and I will pick most of it with gloves on, but at the very end, I take my gloves on, off, and I take my medicine that way from the nettles, too. Yeah. Um, But, oh, my gosh, I'm just in love with them right now, and... um, and chickweed, I, mean, mm-hmm. I get down on my knees like a cow and graze chickweed. Yeah, I love chickweed. Because it's just, it's a lifesaver this time of year. I really especially love that here in the Appalachian mountains and forests, there's a whole kind of plant. And it's called the spring ephemerals that have their whole entire life cycle before the trees leaf out. I just yeah. find that endlessly fascinating. And I just, it's, it's hard for me to pick a favorite season, but honestly, I think ephemeral spring has to be it just, you know, uh, because of the timing and, you know, looking forward to getting all those red greens and things. Uh, One of the earliest that we have here is a plant called Osmoriza longestylis. Which is, I swear, one of my favorite botanical names. It's called Sweet Sweet And it tastes like sweet. And it's almost like candy. Um, And it's actually, it comes up in the, it comes up in the early or in the late winter. And so it's actually like well into its first flush right now. And Griffin and I go out there and pick it all the time and come back and eat it. (laughs) I dry it for tea. And I really want to experiment with candying the uh, stalks. Um, I think that might be kind of fun, but, um, also nettles mm-hmm. and, um, we have woods nettle here, just not come up yet. It's one of the sleepy heads out here because we have blood roots and spice bush and, you know, may apple and all these other things coming up here right now. But, um, we have woods nettle, which is extra special because I don't even wear gloves to pick it until summer. It's almost stingless, but it is fantastically delicious. <laughs> and mm-hmm. usually um, 
pick enough at least for a year because we have oceans of it here. Uh, I'm all for ethical and responsible harvesting, of course. But I usually try to pick enough to let me have tea every day for a year, which is quite the task. Because <laughs> I'm like, hmm, is this 365 days worth of tea? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, but it, it passed the six-year-old test. So even the six-year-old loves to drink this every day. Like with dinner, we just drink nettle tea and it's the best. So it's a winner. I wish I could drink nettle tea, but it makes me pee. Like instantly, oh, it, it makes me yes. pee. <laughs> um, it, it never used to do that, but I did develop a, um, a chronic health issue in that particular area. And so I cannot do nettles. I don't know if I can eat them though. That might be different. Like. I might be able to eat like nettle soup or just something, but it's so sad because they're they've got so much nutrients in them, and they're so good with honey. Nettle tea and honey is like the best mm. shit ever. Someone can make a nettle tea honey so soda. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm Don't sure they have. I'm sure they have. Yeah, so good. Um, or I, um, some I don't. And someone was like, add honey to it. it like a game changer and I was like whoa radically changes the taste um okay Ireland's back ah your pap <laughs> hi what happened <laughs> too much magic in that conversation yeah you were saying some really <laughs> cool stuff I know I don't know <laughs> <laughs> now I don't remember <laughs> So did Sarah have? Yeah, she had to. Did leave Sarah have to leave us? She was having power cord issues. Basically, it, I think her power cord was buried under a lot of. Uh, There's just too power in this group, and so power was like an issue. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. what we witches say, anyway. Yes, I agree. You did freeze again. Oh no! Oh, you're back. You're back. You're back. <laughs> Me? <laughs> um. Do you remember where you were at in that story? But <laughs> oh god, I don't know I don't what remember. I was talking about. Um, the tree oh. waking up. The tree. Oh, okay. Yes. The haircut. So.